Aaron and I want to start with a really big, heartfelt first bite thank you. We have been so encouraged by your kind word, your messages, your glowing reviews of First Bite. This has been a labor of love for the last year and a half, and we we are grateful for y'all being on the First Bite journey with us and supporting us because we I mean, we work full time and this is this is a full time gig on top of it. And we do it with joy because we understand that the world of early intervention pediatrics needs evidence in it. So we sweet talked the folks with speechtherapypd.com. And as a thank you giveaway, we have come up with a, a, a free pod course subscription. So once we hit 130 iTunes written reviews, we're going to pull another name out of the hat, probably with the assistance of an ever so handsome goose and a bear. And that person will get a free PodCore subscription. So over 175 hours of continuing ed plus 19 new continuing hours each month. And there's a new episode every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every other Thursday, and the short course, nine series long, all things ethics with Elise. And that's our way of giving back. So thank you. So please keep the reviews coming. We only have a few more to go, but once we hit 130, then we will pull that name out of a hat. Happy 2020. Thank you for joining us on the journey. And Seriously, y'all rock. Thank you. Hey, so by now, I'm hoping that you've heard about the brand new PodCore subscription that Speech Therapy PD has rolled out. For $79 a month, you get over 175 hours of ASHA continuing education with 19 new episodes a month. That's fantastic. Well, they want to make sure that you also know we have a brand new coupon code. So the coupon code is F as in first, B as in bite, followed by the number 20, FB20. And that brand new coupon code will give you $20 off the PodCore subscription. So you get 175 hours of continuing ed plus an average of 19 new hours a month, all for $59 a year. And we cover everything from early intervention to schools to adults to ethics. So be sure to type in F as in first, B as in bite, and then the number's 20. Enjoy your coupon, or as my kin folks say, enjoy that coupon. Hi folks, and welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional a speech therapy podcast sponsored by speechtherapypd.com. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MS, CCC, SLP, CLC, the all things PEDS SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, here in Town, South Carolina and a guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically complex and fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light, hope, knowledge, and joy to the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate by way of a nerdy conversation, so there's plenty of laughter too. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, ethics on how to run a private practice, pediatric dysphagia to clinical supervision, and all other topics in the world of pediatric speech pathology. Our goal is to bring evidence-based practice straight to you by interviewing subject matter experts. To break down the communication barriers so that we can access the knowledge of their fields. Or, as a close friend says, to build the bridge. By bringing other professionals and experts in our field together, we hope to spark advocacy, joy and passion for continuing to grow and advance care for our little ones. Every fourth episode, I join in. I'm Erin Forward, MSP, CCC, SLP, the Yankee by way of Rochester, New York transplant who actually inspired this journey. I bring a different perspective, that of a newish clinician with experience in early intervention, pediatric acute care, and nonprofit pediatric outpatient settings. 
So sit back, relax, and watch out for all our squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. So today's episode falls once again in all the fabulous categories of fed, fun, and functional. And I'm super excited to have the lovely Melissa Blanford, MS, RD, LDN from Real Food Blends here. Y'all, this lady is a gem and I can't wait to tell you our backstory. Like all guests that we have here on First Bite, there's a connection that makes my heart smile. And with Melissa, she brought more joy to a warrior mama of mine. And for this act of loan, I will always be indebted. All right. So this past February, Melissa and I were gearing up for the South Carolina Speech Language Hearing Association annual convention in Cola Town, South Carolina. And she had the bright idea to get a bunch of passionate peds SLPs together for dinner to talk about all things real food blends and feeding tube feeds. I asked if I could invite a few gal pals from across the Palmetto State, and bless her, Melissa said yes. She may have regretted it later, but she said yes. So y'all, we packed that table with folks from the upstate to the low country, and I sat on the side of the table, surrounded by women of strength, women of advocacy, women of integrity, and women in all stages of their careers. I was able to listen to the rise and the fall of the conversations, watching women build each other up, watching them troubleshoot cases, listen as they spoke words of encouragement, healing, laughter, and love to each other. And my heart was so full. To my right sat a warrior mama and a very dear friend. And y'all, she hadn't had a night out in years. I'm talking years. I think it had been since her little one was born. And her soul needed it. I mean, we do. We need a night out every once in a while. And it turns out that mine did too. Um, So we sat and listened and laughed. And I'm not going to lie. There was probably some delightful sips of uh, very dry white wine getting passed around. And um, the fabulous Miss Melissa brought all of her samples. And after dinner, but before dessert, we decided to bust all of the samples of real food blends open. And we passed them around the table, taking turns taste testing. Y'all, this was pre-pandemic and we did have our own spoons. So, you know, lots of clean spoons. Um, But in case you didn't actually know, real food buns, yes, it's designed for G-tubes, but it can be eaten orally. And the great thing is like when the kid burps, they like bring the flavor up with them. And sometimes you'll see a little bit of regurgitation and them actually eating that, like a refeeding thing, but it is what it is. But there we were taste testing real food blends. And lo and behold, our amazing waitress was interested because she had a family member with special needs. And long story short, that waitress even participated in our taste test. And that's when it happened. My sweet warrior mama to the right of me beamed. I saw her tears start to well and we walked to the bathroom. She cried and we hugged and we talked. And then she went back out to the world for the evening. Now... Melissa, I got to tell you, you started us off with a bang that ended with karaoke and fuzzy drinks several hours later, and I ended up earning a blister on my right toe. (laughs) So thank you. But you let my sweet warrior mama find a tribe and common ground, because when you're new to the world of being a special mommy, it can feel very isolating. And for giving her that night, And for letting her find her muchness that she felt she had lost. Thank you. I am indebted and speechless. And um, thank you. So I'm going to stop crying. Um, Man, I love deep, woman. I love deep. (laughs) So, okay. That night I did have a question, but I didn't want to be foolhardy and ask it in front of all the other folks. But I'll do it now when nobody can see me. What is all of the alphabet soup after your name? Because I know some of them, but not all of them. <laughs> oh, Michelle, you are just so kind. Thank you so much for those those just very sweet words. And, and I'll have to say that night, having dinner with all of those SLPs and that warrior mama is it, just a night that I'll always remember. Um, so I thank you for all of that and, and, and all of those introductions. But um 
just to kind of answer that question about the the alphabet soup there um not a whole lot to it just a um a master's of science and registered dietitian and in a lot of states dietitians have to be licensed as well so um that's about all okay so i have i'll, I'll fully admit this i have often contemplated with the idea of going back and getting my RD, but one, that's money, and two, I don't have money. <laughs> so that kind of negates the thought process real quick. But um, I didn't know about what an RD was or what they did until, honestly, I was an SLP and like well into my career. And then I started like collaborating and kind of getting out of my silo. But uh, how did you decide that this is the profession that you wanted to get into? You know, um, I had a family member that was was going through oncology treatments, and I just saw the rapid weight loss, and, um, you know, he had a feeding tube, and I thought, you know, this might be a a career that I would like to just kind of jump into, and so I dabbled around with a couple of nutrition courses. Um, Of course, I changed my degree just a couple of times throughout college, um, which I think we all do. So that kind of just led me um, to to the world of dietetics, um, and you know, just just with dietetics, it can be very specialized, just like with speech therapy or any other profession. But I've just, for some reason, always had a passion for working with people that have feeding tubes. And, um, you know, I've worked in, in Eastern North Carolina for over 20 years, just seeing patients with feeding tubes. And, um, you know, I've done a lot of consulting throughout the state. And most of my work has been with head and neck oncology patients and then some with children with special needs and kind of helping them troubleshoot through some of their problems that they've had as well. So, um, and I'm sure that you've had this question before too, you know, I've had so many parents ask me, can I put food in my child's feeding tube? Yes. And my answer as a dietitian for years and years is always like, no, are you kidding me? Absolutely not. You're going to put food in that feeding tube and it's going to clog and I'm going to lose my license as a dietitian. (laughs) I only laugh because I have had that thought. They're like, well, can't we just puree this and stick this in the tube? And Numi Michelle was like, you can only do this, this, and this and follow this person's guidelines without saying, maybe we should ask that person if we could blend it and put it in the tube. But I digress. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And and so, you know, back when I was in school, we never learned about putting food in a feeding tube. So you know, I just, I, I was always, no, we can't put food in the feeding tube. I was then concerned about the sanitation in some people's homes. Um, but, you know, I was working with this family um, and this mom has three kids with special needs that have feeding tubes. And I had worked with her for years. And finally, one day she called me and she said, hey, Melissa, I'm going to start blending for my kids. And I said, well, what exactly do you mean? She's like, I'm going to start putting food in their feeding tube. And I thought, I know she's kidding me, but I know she's really not kidding right now. And so I went to, you know, the Academy of Dietetics and tried to pull up every possible reason as to why she couldn't put food in their feeding tube. And she finally said, you know, I'm going to do this with or without you. And I was like, oh, mercy, here we go, here we go. (laughs) I took crash courses on learning on how to blend and educate patients on blenderized tube feedings. And this mom was like always 10 steps ahead of me. And so um, went to her home, made sure that they were heating foods to the proper temperature, cooling them to the proper temperature, that she was blending a variety of food, and her kitchen looked like a science project. But I like this mom, by the way. That takes gumption and muchness, and yes, I like this. (laughs) You would love her. Um, But anyway, and so... She started blending and um, immediately she was like, hey, guess what? I'm not having to use enemas with my kids anymore. And I said, what are you you talking about? 
she's like, they're having normal bowel movements. And I was just like, okay, this is bringing me chills telling you this story right now. And then she said, I'm not having to give reflux medications anymore. And I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? But the, the, the turning point to me was she called me one day and we talked, it seemed like every day during this process because it was new to me, it was new to her. She called me and she said, hey, guess what? She said, um, my son's eating blueberries. And so I was just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And, and then I called her back a few minutes later. I said, wait a minute, is he eating blueberries or did you put blueberries in his feeding tube? She's like, no, he's eating blueberries right now. I was like, what? This kid has not eaten as long as I've known him. And so what, what's really interesting is that um, at that time frame, we didn't have any research on blenderized tube feedings. And everything that I've just described right here is what all of the new research is showing is that blenderized tube feeding can help with so many uh, GI issues like gagging and retching and nausea and vomiting. But, you know, um, sorry to go on so long about this family, but after she had been blending for a couple of months, she said, Melissa, this is a lot of work. This lady even bought a freezer so she could store all of this uh, tube feeding. So anyway, I said, well, um, okay. You know, she said, well, I, I think I want to use something called real food blends. And I thought, hold on just a minute. I had to argue with you for so long. We, you know, we just kind of butted heads. I said, I didn't want you, you didn't want to use formula. And now you're saying you want to use formula. And she said, no, it, it, it's a new product and it's not formula. And so I started investigating it and looked at real food blends. And that's when I looked at the label and I'm like, wait a minute, these are the same ingredients that we're blending that we're using for you. And I said, you know what, this is not going to be covered by insurance. She said, well, just look into it. And lo and behold, it was covered by insurance. And so to make a long story short, that is how I ended up with, with real food blends. Um, so uh, you just never know where life will take you. <laughs> okay. So folks, for the people in the back, to quote my dear friend, Anna Grace, um, in case you did not know that, you do not need to put a feeding tube feed full of sugar and processed foods and corn syrup. You don't need that, those those chemicals in a tiny body in order to make them grow. Um, as my dear OT friend Paul says, and his wife is actually a, um, oh, she's a certified something or another, right? Uh, if, if you just pump a body full of sugar, all you're going to do is crash until the next feed. You go on a sugar high and then you crash and then you go on a sugar high and then you crash. And for our children that have special needs, this tends to exacerbate their, uh, inability to regulate and it can actually cause dysregulation and exacerbate their sensory processing disorders further. Okay. But actual food blended and put through a feeding tube that is covered by insurance that saves our families time, money, and energy. I have, I have witnessed firsthand everything you just said. I have seen patients no longer need um, enemas, no longer need um, Miralax, Milk of Mag, um, no longer need the list and litany of GERD management medications because it's actual food. And it's really cool. Although blueberries, I would have been a nervous freaking wreck when eating a blueberry because I, up until Bear was four, I would make him cut all of his blueberries. <laughs> That's embarrassing. But like, they're like, I grow really fat blueberries. We had them in whiskey barrels in the back. So like all that burnt charcoal, my blueberries were really giant. And I was convinced he was going to like choke to death because, you know, slight hypochondriac. <laughs> okay. All right. So I am so grateful that you found this mama and that you found real food blends and that you are here. So thank you. <laughs> okay. But um, let's get started. So... Talk to me about kids eating the same foods each day, because this is something that I see and struggle with. Um, my kiddos that are stuck on the same formula every day or have such a self-restricted diet, uh, 
I know it can cause some metabolic deficiencies. And this is what this is what the SLPs are told. SLPs are said, hey, they're gaining weight and they're growing. But it's not just about height weight. It's about all the others. So help. Yes. And so, you know, I've had conversations just, you know, last week with um, GI physicians um, across the country, one actually um, in uh, GI in Kalamazoo, actually, and then one uh, a physician down in Alabama. And their message to me was the same, um, you know, that they are now wanting to give their tube feeding patients a variety of foods. And I thought, you know what? That's what blenderized tube feeding actually does, is provides a variety of foods. And so many dietitians now are implementing in their tube feeding population the simple dietary guidelines. This is not rocket science by any stretch of the means, but you know, the dietary guidelines for healthy Americans state you know, to eat a variety of foods, to make sure that those foods are nutrient dense, to limit the amount of sugar and added sugar, and then also to just make healthier beverage choices, you know, just to kind of avoid all of those sugary drinks. And so, you know, with blenderized tube feedings and all of the research that we have now, that that's what we're actually seeing. You know, patients that have been on formula um, and a lot of formulas do have a lot of sugar. A lot of times that is the primary ingredient. And what the research is showing is that taking that child or that adult off of formula and putting real food in their belly, teaching the parents and the caregivers how to blend resolves so many issues. Um, you know, one of the groundbreaking studies that was published back in 2011 about blenderized tube feeding. It's done at Cincinnati Children's Clinic. And, you know, they had a group of kids that were gagging and retching every time formula was put in their belly. Um, these kids had a Nissen procedure. And even after the Nissen, they were gagging and retching after every time formula was administered. And these researchers, they wanted to see, okay, let's take these kids off a of formula, teach the parents how to blend, and let's see if that will help this gagging and retching. And Michelle, the research was just, it, it was truly groundbreaking because 52% of those kids had a 76 to 100% reduction in gagging and retching. And I know that you see that so often. Yeah. And I saw these, I saw their RD speak at ASHA. Um, y'all, I don't know if y'all were there. Cincinnati Children's Hospital had a registered dietitian and ENT specializing in aerodysphagia and an SLP speak at ASHA in, um, where were we? Orlando this past November. And they presented that research article. And then they talked about um, what their, um, they gave like their homemade recipe recommendations. And the ENT even said in his lecture that, uh, when they did the scope and for, so there are, um, in case you don't know what Nissen is, it's uh, a term, it's short for Nissen fin duplication. It's where they take the top portion of the stomach and wrap it around in the base of the esophagus and basically recreate a lower esophageal sphincter. And it's supposed to inhibit emesis and inhibit um, backflow of gastric contents to be like, especially for like se children with severe and profound and uncontrolled um, uh, acid reflux. It's used to be super common. Now it's not as common because there's so many complications and they wear down over time. But just to put that terminology out there, Melissa, when they showed it, it was like insane. They showed pictures. They went through case studies. It was it was also a really, really cool, it was it was neat to see because they even had an ENT. So it was like this really diverse team there talking. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I mean, from that study, I mean, there have been more studies just kind of repeating the same trend. Um, but, you know, even at Cincinnati Children's, um, one of the researchers has even made the comment before that, you know, 
that uh, the viscosity, the thickness of a blended diet really kind of helps prevent that gagging and retching. And again, that's what we've seen in, in other studies as well. Um, you know, we have the Sick Kids study, which was published in 2018. Same exact trend. They took those kids off of formula, taught the parents how to blend. And then that study, 80 and 82 percent, excuse me, kids started out with an 82 percent in gagging and retching by the end, only a 47 percent um, reported rate of gagging and retching. And, you know, um, with speech therapy and speech therapists, we know how important the viscosity is. And, and what we're seeing is that that thick viscosity of a blenderized tube feeding, because a blenderized tube feeding is a puree. It's thick. It's not thin like formula. And to me, it's just common, common science. You know, the thicker you have something, the heavier it is sitting on your stomach, the, you know, the less gagging and retching and, and nausea and vomiting you're going to experience. And so um, we're just seeing more and more of that through all of the research studies that are being published right now. So, you know, kind of back to your, your initial question, you know, what are we feeding our kids each day? And dietitians are slowly now kind of seeing the concept let's go back to the dietary guidelines and let's let our tube feeding kids have a variety of foods every single day. So, um, yeah, we're, we're so fortunate to have all of this research now and dietitians across the country are learning how to blend. Um, and when you, you know, kind of touch on that point of sugar, you know, if you look at a lot of formulas the main it's the first ingredient it's the first ingredient oh my it's gosh the, or or my favorite is when it says the brand plus fiber or it's the fiber one and the only thing they've done different is put corn syrup first and list the sugar a second and i'm like that's what that's just that's not fiber people like the uh yeah, I know. I, know. Um, and- I get hot about that one. I get hot about that because I've got one little kid that's been on it for three of his years. He's been on, and I can't say the product, but people do a Google and the first ingredient is sugar or corn and then sugar. And you'll know what I'm talking about. But um, uh, when we tried to get him to switch off, he sugar crashed so hard that they they cold turkeyed him. They didn't go through and taper it over to like, I don't know, a product you might be familiar with. And he sugar crashed and got so frustrated, he attempted to, to cannulate himself. So the mother got afraid. And I was trying to explain to the mom that it needed to be a slow taper, that she needed it. And, and I phrased it, y'all, you have to be very careful. This is not my scope. This is the RD scope. And I said, I really think that you should call your registered dietitian back and talk to her about tapering. And the message never got relayed. And by then, mom was afraid. And they went right back to it. And I'm like, and all of the negative side effects have come back. But yes, but the sh- the sugar. Okay, sorry. One other thought. I saw something on um, National Geographic. Uh, I think it was just this past week where they were um, doing uh, basically autopsy studies of uh, uh, bodies from ancient Rome and um, like ancient Rome, not like popular Rome, but like ancient Rome and everybody's teeth were fully intact. And even after all these years, no cavities, no caries. And they were like, they had no sugar in their diet. And I was like, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So of course- this is said after I've had like repeat oral surgery this summer from stress cracking a tooth. And, you know, I like cream in my coffee. <laughs> okay. But sugar, how does sugar tie into kiddos dietary guidelines? You know, um, that that's such a good point. And I'm going to have to um, find that National Geographic clip that you just watched. So share that with me. Going to, I'm going to do the Google because it was like a two o'clock in the morning fine when I couldn't sleep. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, you know, when we look at sugar, I always like to, I just, I like to keep things simple for myself and, and for patients and, and clinicians as well. But, you know, the American Heart Association, they recommend 
no more than 25 grams of sugar per day, which is about, you know, six teaspoons of sugar for a female and for a child. For a male adult, no more than 36 grams of added sugar a day. So let's just think about all the kids you work with. 25 grams of sugar a day. Well, what, what, you know, what does that mean? And so if, if you look at some cans of, of formulas or nutrition drinks or energy drinks and, and you look at the added sugar, it can range anywhere from like 12 to 21 grams of added sugar per package. And, you know, for people that are consuming two, three, four of those a day, they're getting 100 grams of added sugar when the recommendation is only 25 grams of added sugar per day, you know? So um, anyway, there's just so many ways that sugar can be hidden on a label. Um, most people are just going to look for the name sugar. But like you said earlier, you know, you've got, it can be named maltose, maltodextrin. Um, or, say, them, say them slowly for us. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. No, maltose, okay. you know, that is basically a sugar, glucose maltodextrin. Um, and then you look at some of these these fancier terms like organic agave syrup. Well, that's still sugar, brown rice. In my pantry right now for my protein balls. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. And so, you know, with kids and you know, that you're working with, the last thing you want to do is sugar overload them. And especially with their tube feeding. And that just kind of brings us back to blenderized tube feeding because with blenderized tube feeding, you can have zero added sugar just by using healthy foods um, each and every day. So um, it's something that parents have always just kind of tuned into, but dietitians may have ignored that with tube feeding formula. But I think dietitians, we're now in tune and we're, we're listening to parents now and we're paying attention to how much added sugar we, we're given to those tube feeding kiddos. So um, yeah, the amount of added sugar is something that we do need to take into consideration with, with our oral kids and with our tube feeding kids. And then you hit the blend where you have the kiddos that are like, I have several kiddos on my caseload right now that are primarily G-tube dependent. However, we're working towards the oral feeds. So because of that, it's, um, they may have, I mean, you're getting sugar from different foods. You're getting sugar from like food trials orally, because unfortunately a lot of, um, kitty crackers, um, like I'm thinking, oh my gosh, the little um, vanilla wafers, like they're laden with sugar. But if you have a kid that's already on a high sugar um, concentrated, you know, G-tube feed, you're going to send them over the edge. Right, right. You know, Michelle, and I'll also have to say, if 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 you were to look at a, a can of tube feeding, um a majority of the time, you're not going to see the amount of added sugar on that label. And reason being is that medical foods do not have the same um, labeling laws that natural foods have. So when you go to the grocery store to purchase anything, you can look at that label and it specifically gives you the amount of added sugar. However, with tube feeding, because it is a medical grade food that is basically synthetic, it's not required for the amount of added sugar to be listed on that label. So it's very hard for clinicians and for parents to simply look at a tube feeding and, and calculate how much added sugar they're receiving in a day. Um, and I do want to point out, you know, with, with sugar, we... It's the amount of added sugar that we're concerned about. The naturally occurring sugar that's found in, in many of the fruits that we eat, that comes, that's not included as an added sugar. That's more of a naturally occurring sugar. So um, just to kind of wanted to make sure I clarified that there. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, uh, y'all, there's, there's another article that's coming out um, 
and, and when we're talking about sugar being, it, it's, I hesitate to use the word, it's a hidden pandemic given the current situation that we're all in, but like it is, it's what's slowly killing America um, is sugar. But uh, the food pyramid, um, y'all can find this on um, health.gov, the Office of Disease Prevention and Health Promotion. They are in the process of updating the dietary guidelines. It's at dietaryguidelines.gov. And um, they're actually updating the what we think of as the food pyramid. And we're expecting changes um, as long as, you know, I'm slight conspiracy theorist. I could see how some um, larger industries may not want certain changes made to the food pyramid. Ha ha ha. Y'all are all educated folks. You can figure that out. But um, this June 2020, they're supposed to announce the um, the final draft, I think. So uh, I'm hoping to see major changes because it is one of the things that is um, yeah. slowly killing us. And I, I will have to say, you know, with, with the current guidelines that are in place, they do give good recommendations when it comes to sugar, um, you know, just to limit the amount of added sugar per day. But um, these new guidelines, they are supposed to have, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong, but guidelines more specific to pediatrics, whereas the 2015-2020 guidelines um, are just overall general for um, healthy, Amer- you know, healthy Americans. But the new guidelines hopefully are supposed to have a pediatric focus. Yeah. And I think that they're even, what I saw was they were even um, talking about cutting out dairy uh, or like limiting dairy because there's so many, we're the only mammal that drinks another mammal's product. And there's so many of us that are that allergic to it. Um, And unfortunately, what they have found is that it's even um, your ethnic background. Like I have, um, I'm Cherokee and Potawatomi tribe. I mean, the Irish one, I'm as pasty white as I go, right? But um, I have the GI tract of my native ancestors and I can't eat dairy. It makes me really, really, really sick. And that's, that's a common prevalent complaint amongst, you know, those of us that are not as fair skinned as my Irish side. (laughs) Right. Right. And, and, you know, um, with real food blends, um, that has been taken into consideration. And so there, there's no dairy in their products. So, um, just or added sugar. Or added <laughs> sugar. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. <laughs> All right. So um, earlier, earlier when we were we were talking, you talked about how blenderized tube feeds really help with feeding refusals. And I know I've seen it, but like, can you go at it from an RD perspective? Like, talk to us about how it helps with feeding refusals. Yes. Yes. And again, that's what we're just, tr- we're, we're seeing a hint of that in the research today. You know, um, going back to that Cincinnati children's um, study, you know, in that study, you know, it, it was kind of a side effect in, in terms of feeding refusal that they looked and they were like, wait a minute, these kids are eating by mouth. Okay. And so, you know, again, you think about it. If you're not having that gagging and retching and nausea and vomiting, you asso- you're associating that with putting something in my belly. That's what I feel. You know, I have all of these horrible symptoms, so you don't want food in your belly. But what we're seeing is that these patients that now have a blenderized diet, they start eating by mouth again, just like the 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 kid that we talked about earlier in the presentation, when that mom called me and said he was eating blueberries, I'm like, what are you talking about? And so, you know, um, the, some of the theories is that, you know, with, with your, your belching, you're tasting natural food. And also it's more of a, nor, uh, a hormonal response that you want to eat food. So, um, you know, in that Cincinnati children's study that we were referring to earlier, 
by the end of the study, there was a 57% increase in oral intake after those kids started a blenderized tube feeding. Um, and, and you know, I know, I know. And um, Johns Hopkins had a, a very similar study, similar protocols in 2018. And in that, over half, 53% of those patients, once they were transitioned over to a blenderized diet, they started eating more by mouth. And so, you know, this is just a trend that we just keep, keep seeing that these people are eating by mouth. Um, and again, it was just pretty amazing that I saw it hands-on um, with that family in Eastern North Carolina before any of the research had in, even been published. So I think there's a lot to that. There, you know, there's just a lot of hypotheses around it. Now, nothing's concrete, but it is concrete that we're seeing these patients eat orally again. Um, one of the things that I love is that it's the difference in flavors. Um with the blenderized tube feed and, and, and by adding, and I've had families that, uh, if the child had, I've got, I've got one little, <laughs> I got one little mama that, um, she is, um, adopting her medically fragile foster son. And, uh, she is a hoot. Um, but, um, it was, it was so bad. They were having to do, you know, the enemas, the whole nine yards, but, uh, for them, uh, it was a matter, and, and I have heard this, y'all, when you switch to a blenderized tube feed diet, some pumps have difficulty running the feed. Yes. Um, and and that's, that's common because it is thicker. So what that mom did was she dropped it in, um, she's got like a is it a bullet? Is that the fancy smancy? Yeah, that's blender? one of them. Yes, yeah. Vitamix. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Vitamix is the other one. I think she had a bullet because it was a joke. She was she was giving me the business, and um, <laughs> I love that mom. Um, and uh, so she tossed the um, tube feed in the blender and she bulleted it, and then put it back through the machine and it worked. And then they also got a different pump because there's a lot of different pumps. So make sure that you're um, having, if you're hearing that complaint from your families, ask them to talk to their registered dietitian and to talk to their durable medical equipment team because there's different options available to them. And, and it did, it helped. Um, and another factor that I, I have done this as a mom but I didn't, you know how sometimes you're wearing like your RD hat and you have to slip into mom or you're wearing your like SLP hat or vice yeah. versa. And and the mama was telling me, she goes, well, I just started adding some avocado oil or flaxseed mm -hmm. oil mm -hmm. or um, olive oil because I've had a lot of families and I put olive oil in my bathtub um, during the winter. I pour a little olive oil on a saucer and leave it on the kitchen counter and um, you know, I change it out every day, but um, I use olive oil on my knuckles to keep my knuckles from cracking. Uh -huh. And mm -hmm. that's the only thing that will actually save my skin. Everything else, I can buy all the products. Nope, olive oil. But um, that that little addition, like a tablespoon here or there, it and it helps them um, meet their fat content. That I have one kiddo that ended up having to add um, add the oils just because they had they have some type of Whatever their condition is, it doesn't process fats the right way. And right. so they look incredibly emaciated. Um, but the the oils help gain weight. I mean, I don't have that problem, so I probably right. should not. Right. But yeah, but yeah. those but those those are considerations that we can do and add. And I thought that was amazing to add oil to a blenderized tooth fit. I didn't Absolutely. And, and anytime a dietitian is calculating, um, you know, if, if, if a dietitian is helping someone to blend, an oil is part of that recipe. Um, so no, that's very, very common. Um, but I'm glad that you just brought up the issue about pump and blenderized tube feedings. If you don't mind, I'd like to kind of touch on that for a minute. Yes. Yes. Because that's, um, I have seen families um, where the parents had carpal tunnel and they were doing the, um, 
they didn't put it through a pump. They were like syringing it in. And I've watched them struggle with that. And I'm like, oh, I think we have a better option. Plus, I always worry about the sudden feeling association when you like syringe it in because it kind of looks like your beer bong on a baby's belly. And I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> so like continue. <laughs> yes. yes. Well, um, I'm just going to kind of go a, a couple of different directions here, but <laughs> um, this past year, uh, Boston Children's, um, Sharon Weston did some research on blenderized tube feedings and, um, the viscosity. And I'm going to try not to butcher this, but the IDDSIs, the International Dysphagia Diet Standardization, um, she looked at so many different um, commercial blenderized formulas and and looked at their thickness, you know, slightly thick, moderately thick, extremely thick. And so, you know, I mean, there was a range there, uh, but dietitians that know this research, you want this to be thick because that's what helps with all of these GI issues. So Jim actually did some research with, with different types of, of formulas, you know, just kind of looking to see, okay, well, how much water actually needs to be added to make it pump friendly? So with a blenderized diet, pumps weren't designed uh, for blenderized tube feeding, but parents are diluting. And now dietitians um, are learning that for a blenderized tube feeding to go through a pump, a lot of times it does need to be diluted. Um, and it can be used with two to four ounces of water or um, just some other type of fluid that your dietitian would recommend. It might be juice. It might be milk. So, um, you know, we just encourage patients. Pedialyte. Sorry, I've had, a, I've, I've had, I have one little girl that needs Pedialyte. Um, we're palliative care, so... Um, just adding Pedialyte for comfort with her stools um, yeah. because of where she is in her um, shortened walk. Um, but Pedialyte was her um, hydration of choice. Yes, and, and that's very common, very, very common. Um, you mentioned the dexterity, and, and I will have to say with the blenderized tube feeding, it is recommended to use a syringe and to bolus feed that. And it does require, um, you know, sometimes just a small amount of dexterity. But when you look at a blenderized tube feeding, um, Boston Children's also just quoted, and I was so happy to see this in the research, just finally printed somewhere that a, a, a slow bolus push should actually take 15 to 30 minutes. Yeah, that's not what I've seen. <laughs> exactly, exactly. These, these parents are wanting to push this food in in two minutes. And so just think about eating a consuming a milkshake in two to three minutes. What in the world would your belly feel like? You know, um, that thickness and that volume at such a high rate. And so, um, you know, that's where we as healthcare professionals need to educate these patients. This is supposed to be more of a slow push method, not let's see how rapid we can infuse this into your body. Um, and there are other things on the market now that can kind of help. When patients have that dexterity issue, um, there's a B-fed system, which is kind of like a bag, and you just kind of slowly push, um, kind of like knead the formula in. Um, so there are other options. What is it called? Say that again. B-fed or the BOLE. I think it's B-O-L-E-E. -E. And, um, and then, you know, there's also the gravity option as well. Um, for those patients that don't want to go all the way to, you know, using a pump, because sometimes that just, you know, being connected to a pump just gives it a very um, medicinal feel. You know, um, it's not a natural way of feel, feeding when you have a pump connected to you with lines going everywhere. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's, I, I've had families that are hesitant to have to want the pump. Because they feel, I've heard it said, well, I don't want to do the pump. I feel like it's a step back or I don't want to do the pump because I can't go out in public like that. Yes. And and I think that's what touched my warrior mama's heart was that we were in public working and taste testing the real, like taste testing the real food blend bags. And yes, and it was 
taking something that so many people are afraid of and putting it out there in public. I mean, like, you know, not to keep going back to this research, but so many of these kids in these research studies that were on pumps ended up having what we like to call greater volume tolerance and they ended up on bolus feedings. Like how awesome is that in, in a few months to completely go off of a pump because you're able to tolerate bolus feedings because your body can tolerate more volume at a time. Yes. So, and and that's, that's part of our battle. When you have a child that truly has feeding tube dependency, getting them to go from um, like continuous feeds. If I can get a child to go to a bolus feed, then I have an opportunity to work with the RD and the team to request taking less volume in that feed or removing one of those bolus feeds so that we can create hunger cues so that the child feels so that we can introduce food again. Absolutely. You know? mm-hmm. And I see that over and over again. Absolutely. Um, you know, I had a, a chat with a healthcare professional today that um, was was educating parents on how, uh, how to blend and Anyway, you know, talking about those hunger cues, and that's definitely not my area of expertise. That's definitely yours. But, you know, she she was working with a speech therapist and, you know, using a commercial blenderized product, teaching the mom how to blend. And she was like, you know what? Try feeding this by mouth first. And then whatever they don't finish, then let's put that in the tube. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, again, just back to those feeding cues. Um, okay. So, um, we have to get to another question, but I just want to folks in case you're, and I've had a lot of people comment lately that they're CFs. So you're just starting out or you've come from another setting. Um, so some of the hunger cues that you'll see in your children that do have feeding tube dependency, they can be very, very subtle. And if you don't know what you're looking for, you can miss them. And not every kid's going to show all the same hunger cues. I had one little guy, um, I can't do it, but he sucked his tongue and made a clicking sound with his lips closed. So it sounded like this. I'm hoping you could, could you hear that, yes, Melissa? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was the sound he made. Um, I've had numerous um, to be friends that would spin or play with their button when it got close to like one of their scheduled tube feeding times. Um, I've had numerous to be um, friends that when they're mobile, um, they would go over and start playing with their syringes. My dream when, oh my gosh, when I see a kiddo that's a tubey baby and they start reaching for the syringes and bringing this empty syringe to their mouth, or if they have, um, um, I, I, my mommies call it their tails, if their tails are attached and they start reaching for their tubey tail and chewing on the tip of the tubey tail, y'all, it is time. Those are hunger cues mm-hmm. in your your little bitty ones to wear my CLC hat for a second. If they're super teeny tiny, if you see them starting to root in their crib or in their bassinet, um, if you see them starting to bring their hands up or their hands to midline, um, if you uh, see them um, starting to um, play with their lips, um, sucking on their lips, those are all, I mean, there's countless mores, but those are some of the ones that come to me fresh off of my head. And when you have that opportunity, y'all, I have modeled eating tube feeding blends out of a syringe with a kid. I've taken the syringes, I've dipped it in the bags, I've licked it off the bottom and I am right there with them doing everything that that kid is doing. And the moms look at me like I'm crazy. And then they join us and we break bread as a honorary family. And you're opening the door you're opening the door to transition to an increase in an oral feed. And that's awesome. So, okay. All right. So um, we have, we have to save time. We have to have like two or three minutes at the end for questions, but I have so many other questions. Um, tube feeding babies are, are traditional tube feeders. They are, they come to us with picky eating and GI issues like constipation and diarrhea. What are your, what are your thoughts there? You know, and, um, the research shows taking someone off a of formula, 
putting them on a blenderized tube feeding just helps normalize those bowel movements. And as a dietitian, as a speech therapist, that comes up in almost every consultation that we have with the patient, the bowel movements, um, you know, how, how are they? And, you know, when you look at traditional formulas and you look at the fiber source, it's not a natural fiber source that we would consume by mouth. And is it, is it because it is a sugar and most of the formula in like the industry formulas, what is their fiber source? Cause when I look, I mean, I'm not an RD, but when I look on the labels, I don't see a fiber source other than corn. Yeah. When you look, it's, it's more of a synthetic type fiber source. So a lot of viscous gels and things along those lines. So you can't really look at the label and, and pick out what is the fiber source because they're not things that you're going to go to the grocery store and buy for the rest of your family. Um, but okay, that would explain why I didn't recognize it on the exactly, label. <laughs> okay. exactly. There's just a host of, of different ingredients um, that, you know, a lot of, you know, larger formula companies use, but, you know, with a blenderized diet, the theory is that the mix of soluble and insoluble um, fiber helps with that constipation and the diarrhea. Um, you know, and, and again, just kind of looking at a couple of studies like Mayo Clinic, they looked at people that were blending and putting food in their feeding tubes. And those patients said that they had significantly less diarrhea and constipation versus using standard commercial formula. Um, and again, Michelle, it's just like like we eat. You want a variety of foods, not the same thing every single day. So um, again, there's a lot of, of research from Boston Children's, um, the Canadian-based study, the Cincinnati study, you know, just showing where, you know, that patients that are on a blenderized diet, they're not adding medications to help them go to the bathroom. You know, there were no pro-motility agents used in the sick kids or the Cincinnati children's, which means they're starting to have normal bowel movements because they've just got natural foods in their body. Um, pro-motility drugs, folks, what she's talking about are, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, some of the common ones that we see, there's uh, like um, Aripad, Periactin, uh, those are GI stimulants. Uh, I've heard it told to some families that it will make their kiddos hungry, but it actually stimulates the GI tract all the way down. So they're hungry because it's emptying out faster. Uh, some of the other incredibly common, um, Miralax, Milk of Bag, uh, you do have to watch, um, some of them were recalled because the ingredient that makes your shoe, the sole of your shoes white was found, I think, was it in Milk of Mag? I think that's what it was found in a couple years ago. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that had to get recalled and taken out because, you know, we don't need to bleach a baby's tummy internally. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, um, and Michelle, just to kind of piggyback on that, um, a lot of formulas are you know, have a lot of hydrolyzed ingredients, hydrolyzed protein. They're semi-elemental, which means that they're so broken down that the body, um, you know, just absorbs them very quickly. And so if the body's absorbing, then your body, your bowel does not have the opportunity to actually form bulk or to form a stool. And so um, Aspen, which is... Wait, I had never thought that through that way. Mm -hmm. Hold on. I need to wrap my brain around it. Because it's absorbing it so quickly, it can't make... Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay, you just figured out what was going on with one of my kids. You no, know, so many kids and adults are... They're put on pump. Let's say if they're having intolerance issues, you know, dietitians will change the formula and they'll put the patient on the pump. And when they change the formula, and I can say this because I'm a dietitian and I'm very guilty of doing this in the past, if they don't tolerate a standard formula, 
then you just kind of, okay, well, let's use a semi-elemental formula or an elemental formula. And the research is showing that so many of these kids that have been on these specialty formulas didn't have a true diagnosis um, to go on those products. It was just kind of like, okay, well, this didn't work. So let's put them on, you know, a higher category formula. And what these research studies are showing, they put those kids that were on those specialized formulas on a blended diet. And guess what? They tolerated it just fine. Yes. Yes. I, yes, I have a kiddo that's been on an Elementum diet for almost her entire three and a half years. She's just about to turn four and we are just got in with the GI. I asked for a particular blendedized diet. The GI said, no, we're going to put them on something um, else. They put them on a different um, quote unquote complete diet formula and her stomach didn't handle it because it was, it um, that's, and we kept having major backups. Um, and finally they got a hold of the RD and the RD was like, yeah, so that's not going to work. Um, we can't have you taking this much, um, uh, GI motility medications. We're going to change it around. So they put them on, um, uh, on a really good blenderized diet and guess what? Our poo balanced out and she's only on day three. And the mom's like, oh, my gosh. She was like, we're only at like a 50% rate because they're doing the transition. She was like, but this is so much better. Yes, yes, yes. And so it's just nice to have this research supporting this now. Um, and, again, this is, this is new to the medical community right now. And textbook-wise, as a dietitian, those three kids that we were talking about um, at the beginning of this, they were all on a semi-elemental formula. And I'm just like, textbook wise, there's no way if you're on an elemental formula, no way your body's going to tolerate food. And they did. As dietitians, I feel like we have overprescribed semi-elemental and elemental formulas. Don't get me wrong. They have a place for so many patients, but I think it's been a quick and easy fix to resolve so many of those GI issues. Okay. I have like 400 other questions, um, but we don't have time to go there. Um, let me backtrack. Is are, are you guys coming to ASHA this year? Yes, we will be there. <laughs> um, can you and I come back and do a part two like later this fall, really close to ASHA after you guys have been given like a booth number, that way we can tell folks where to find you. Would that oh, be okay? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yes. That would be right. fun. Yeah. Cause, yeah. Cause then we'll have, then we'll even have the new, um, ADA handout to break down and go through. Oh, I like this idea. Yeah. This is cool. Let's do that. Okay. All right. So one, um, if someone has more questions about real food blends and wants to talk to you, or if, um, because it is covered by insurance, which a lot of people don't realize. Um, and a lot of physicians don't realize because, you know, the larger companies are in the business of mailing packets to physicians offices for them to hand out to families. Um, but if someone wants to learn more about that, how can they reach you? How can they learn? What do they yes, do? Yes, absolutely. So um, I would love for people just to reach out with questions. And my email is Melissa, simple, M-E-L-I-S-S-A, at realfoodblends.com. And then our website just has a host of information, just so much valuable information. We have dietitians all throughout the country. Our website is realfoodblends.com. Um, and so you can tune in there. Uh, we have an insurance site. So if you have questions about where in the world can I get real food blends in the state of, you know, Texas or North Carolina, we've got quick little links there to, to kind of help guide you. But we're here to help as well. Um, so um, does that kind of help, Michelle? Yes. Yes, that's perfect. Um Excuse me. I, I know we've gone slightly over and I want to make sure we um, keep the line available for questions, but um, 
Woman, thank you. No, thank, thank you, you. Thank you. Thank you. This is yes. fun. Thank you. Okay, hold, hold on one second. Let me switch this over, okay? Okay. Feeding Matters guides system-wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So what is this alliance? The Alliance is an open access collaborative community focused on achieving strategic goals within three focus areas, education, advocacy, and research. So who is the Alliance? It's you. The Alliance is open to any person passionate about improving care for children with a pediatric feeding disorder. To date, 187 professionals, caregivers, and partners have joined the Alliance. You can join today by visiting the Feeding Matters website at www.feedingmatters.org. Click on PFD Alliance tab and sign up today. Change is possible when we work together. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies. Babies.